Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we're joined by Shannon Sedgwick, a Senior Managing Director of Encura, specialising in strategy, cybersecurity and governance, risk and compliance. Shannon Sedgwick is a Senior Managing Director at Encura, located in the Sydney office. Shannon has experience in providing future-focused leadership to government and enterprise executives and boards to maximise the benefits of implementing new technologies align that implementation with their strategic intent and future-proof their organisations against cyber threats. After over a decade of working globally, consulting on technology, cybersecurity and governance, risk and compliance, Shannon has unique and unparalleled insight into what makes an organisation profitable and resilient. Shannon has landed coverage in print and broadcast outlets around the world, including The Today Show, Seven News, Sky News, ITV, KBPS, ABC, 60 Minutes, 2GB and Sunday Night. His articles have been featured in the Asia-Pacific Security Magazine, Australian Financial Review, The Australian, CSO, news.com.au and University Journals. Shannon engages with executives in boards in both government and private industry and develops solutions to incorporate cyber risk into their overall business strategy. His focus is on strategic cybersecurity helping clients meet risk reduction and compliance objectives and advising on the implementation of new and evolving technologies by ensuring they are secure, fit for purpose, scalable and continually driving efficiencies in the target organisation. As a non-executive director on various boards, Shannon has a passion for initiatives that tackle issues affecting the disabled, Indigenous and veteran communities. Wow, welcome Shannon. How are oh, you today? Wow. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm sorry you had to read all that bio. I'm going to have to do something about that. There's a lot of acronyms in there, are there? There is. Honestly, it's very impressive, Shannon. So welcome to the show today. So tell us yeah, a little bit about um, Shannon Sedgwick and then Kura. Oh, okay. Well, uh, no, I've, my background going way back is uh, ex-military. Um, after I left the military, I started my own um uh, risk management firm in uh, San Diego in the US and uh, had quite a bit of success there and opened up offices in Sydney and Singapore. Um, I was bored out of that business. I, I exited that business successfully in uh, um, a few years back um, and then I um, went and joined a big four consultancy to lead their, um, their cyber risk business in federal government and build out that business and um, had a great time there and then uh, since then I've uh, joined Ankara um, as a senior managing director, um, leading their um, cybersecurity practice nationally. And uh, like my bio said, we we focus on strategic level cybersecurity, um, which is cybersecurity, which is aligned with the organization's overall business strategy. So we do work like uh, mergers and acquisition due diligence or um, cybersecurity and, and technology cost optimization, which is selling quite well. <laughs> right now with uh, all the organizations trying to reduce costs, but to do it in a way that helps to them still meet regulatory compliance and risk management standards um, is uh, difficult. 
So uh, in, enlisting our help, uh, a lot of companies are enlisting our help with that right now. And we also have another arm of the practice as well, which is um, which is going very strongly, which is our digital forensics and incident response. Um, yeah, that's uh, really interesting work. Um, and my colleagues are um, heavily engaged in that right now, particularly off the back of um, that increased malicious activity, which obviously everybody heard about when the PM mentioned it on Friday to the press conference. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that, Shannon, from your perspective. Um, there seems to be a hyper-sensationalism mm. in the media as per normal. Yeah, shock horror, media sensationalising things. Um, you know, it, it, the PM's announcement was something that we've been aware of in the industry for quite some time, particularly since, um, you know, the... Um, economic downturn and the lockdown with COVID, uh, the mass transition to working from home. So there's been a, a lot of adoption of um, you know, uh, new technology and new software and shadow IT is a massive problem, um, particularly when working from home because IT and security teams don't have the oversight over what the their employees or the staff members in the company are doing anymore. And, um, cyber criminals and malicious actors have taken advantage of that increased attack surface or that availability of uh, vulnerable users and technology and you know that malicious activity has increased dramatically um, so that the, the PM's announcement I think um, you know wasn't anything new to us but it may have been um, you know, everyday members of the public and, and um, leaders of corporate entities, I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of them. And um, I believe any time the government is pushing forward um, the importance and um, emphasising the importance of cybersecurity is is great. Uh, the more they do it, the better. And it sounds like there's going to be some uh, added investment from both government and private industry and some um, uh, new standards being um, suggested for private industry um, so that we can increase our overall cybersecurity maturity as a nation. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. What an opportunity right now for um, to kind of highlight this issue. I, You know, I've sort of been take, talking to a few people recently and um, obviously you're the first part in our cybersecurity series, which will be a three-part mm-hmm. series. And um, so we'll be touching on different things around the practicalities of a data breach or an incident response and um, the communication side of that. But from your side, being a technical specialist in your area, um, at least it's an opportunity to kind of highlight these issues when um, the World Wide Web is not exactly that old compared to other risk management sort of um, traditional frameworks in terms of managing financials and managing strategy and things like that. The digital world is really not that old. Um, I mean, I remember growing up without internet or computers or any of those things. So, um, yeah, at least it's kind of bringing that um, opportunity to you guys and helping you, I I guess, kind of um, highlight the issue to new potential clients. Well, yeah, exactly. And you you only have to look at, um, you know, say specific the board directors and governance uh, 10 years ago, um, data risk or cybersecurity wasn't on anybody's radar at a board level or, or a governance level. And you, you only had to look at, um, even going back a couple of years, um, board director vacancies, the role descriptions would be finance, accounting, legal frameworks, governance. 
um, you know, very much geared towards the previous serving accountants and lawyers. Nowadays, they're looking for people with that technology experience and around technology transformation and data risk and cybersecurity risk. And, and more and more, um, as we communicate these issues, they're realizing it's not, you know, cybersecurity used to be just delegated to the IT team. Oh, it's an IT issue. But they're realizing now it's a it's a business-wide issue. It's, it needs to be uh, a strategy that's um, developed and driven down from the top, from the board and the executive level, uh, to gain buy-in from the rest of the organization. You know, and if the more that we can communicate that cybersecurity isn't just a, a cost, uh, it's not you know a cost center to just bury away money and not see any return. If you conduct your cybersecurity efforts in a way that aligns with your business strategy. It's not just a cost. You can actually increase profitability and increase your resilience and increase actually customer trust and goodwill if you go about it the right way. And that's something that needs to be communicated to all businesses and government is to see cybersecurity for what it is. is it's, um, it's no longer a, a want. It's a, it's a need. It's a must-have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think in the Australian on the weekend, Shannon, there was an article um, and it said a lot of the attacks have been um, spear phishing and ransomware attacks. If you're a small business, what sort of um, mitigating factors can you put into place when you don't have big budgets? Yeah, sure. And and that's a problem, isn't it? Is you've got to think about it uh, in a way nobody can protect everything. There's banks in the US that have an actual limitless budget for cybersecurity. They spend hundreds of millions of it every year and even they can't protect everything. So what hope does a cafe have or a, you know, a small physiotherapy business? And what it's about is identifying what operations and what data assets and systems are critical for the continued operation and the success of the business. You look at what IT systems underpin that and then you apply the appropriate security controls to those systems. But a good place to start, as you said, spear phishing, which is typically down to human error, clicking on a link that they shouldn't or opening an attachment or an email that they shouldn't because they didn't identify the warning signs in the structure of that email or the sender of that email. Um, that's often the most the the most attributable cause for data breaches or cyber incidents occurring successfully. So first steps to consider as a small business would be cost-effective options. So uh, multi-factor authentication, often that doesn't cost anything to switch on. You can do it on your, um, on Facebook, on Instagram, on dating apps, multi-factor authentication is the um, functionality is in most um, uh, newer software and applications. Then patching, making sure that your software and your operating system is up to date. Um, and then user training and awareness. You can get staff training, awareness, uh, user training and awareness for $40 a year per person. You know, it's, it's incredibly cheap these days or even for free. And, and then also um, daily backups. It doesn't cost you anything to back up your information each day. You might have to pay a little bit more to, say, iCloud or um, G Drive to be able to uh, Google Drive to be able to store a bit more data, but in the end, it's worth it. And all of those options, you know, you can get them almost for free or for very low investment, and it'll it will protect you from the majority of the cyber risks that you'll face. So, to say that there's not enough budget for SMEs to be able to 
protect themselves adequately, I think is um, is not is not a valid excuse. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of um, actually sort of going through a cybersecurity incident or a data breach. Um, what are the first sort of things that you think a business needs to do to respond? Do they call somebody with your expertise to come out and do sort of a third-party review or how does it work? Well, uh, when an incident occurs, the, the first thing that a provider should do is obviously have access to um, the contact details of, um, say, a company like ours or um, and also um, the relevant government agencies. So contacting the Australian Cybersecurity Centre immediately because they can often provide um, immediate response and um, um assistance without having to pay for it, particularly those with a very low budget. The ACSC has some great assets there um, that they can provide help to small, smaller SMEs. What usually comes next is, um, is in the incident response um, uh, procedures. Usually you'd hope that a business has an IRP or an incident response plan and they'll be able to follow those steps. When there's not an IRP, this is when it makes it very difficult and the time to respond, the time to both recover um, and get drawn out and it costs them more um, every day that the business operations are down. Hopefully, the attack wasn't ransomware where they've turned your entire data sets and your uh, computers into unusable bricks. Um and uh, but more and more, this is um, a favourable attack by malicious actors, and you see ransomware um, being used quite heavily. You know, you only have to look at the toll cyber attack um, to see the damage that it can cause. And unfortunately, they got hit twice, which is um, really terrible for them. But it, the initial response is about mit- uh, minimising the the damage done to the business by segmenting that particular part of the network or the systems that have been affected. And in some cases, you'll have to transition to manual work processes to be able to keep your operations going. And then calling in the experts to conduct um, incident response to help you guide through it to be able to um, restore your systems from backups, which you hopefully have because you've followed my advice about having daily backups. You restore from backups and um, plug the gaps that the um, where, you know plug that vulnerability where the um, attack originally originated, and then set about recovering and heading getting back to BAU. And then after that comes digital forensics, where you look at the attack that happened, um, who the, who was the user who say clicked on the link or opened up the email attachment, where did that email come from, um, seeking to attribute that attack to a certain malicious actor or, or who did it, which is extremely difficult, but it's about looking at what they gained access to and how to prevent that data that was accessed being um, let out into the wild, so to speak. Additionally, what's incredibly important is during that time is communication, communication with your stakeholders and communication with the data owners, which is, you know, if you hold um, the personal identifiable information of both your employees or say um, your customers, you need to inform them immediately that you've suffered a data breach and that their data may have been accessed or compromised and this is what you're doing to fix it. Delaying those type of announcements only causes additional reputational damage and oftentimes that reputation 
reputational damage, if handled poorly, can far exceed any type of financial damage or operational down, uh, downtime damage that can occur due to that data breach. Um, yeah, you only have to look at. You see you that over and examples. over, don't you? Yeah. yeah. You only have to look at examples like Yahoo when they were going through, they were being acquired by a large telecommunications firm in the US and they got found out that years beforehand they'd suffer a data breach of tens and hundreds of millions of their users and didn't tell anybody about it. Mm. And I think they, they had uh, hundreds of millions wiped off their market capitalization mid-acquisition. It just shows you the, the damage that can occur to your reputation and goodwill. And it's hard to enumerate that damage because you don't know what new clients were going to come your way and now are no longer going to because they can't trust you. you know, it's, uh, it can be incredibly damaging. But in the same turn, if you handle it well, you can actually gain more customers and gain more trust because of it. A good example of that is the Australia's Red Cross. They suffered a data breach, not due to a malicious factor, but due to a third-party error where they published the entire list of their donors to a publicly-facing web page, including their health and address personal information, and they handled it exceedingly well. They involved the you know, the, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre or the community uh, computer emergency response team and they helped them um, respond to that incident and they were extremely clear and very forthcoming and rapid in their communication to those who'd been affected and it actually increased the amount of donors that they had afterwards because they'd been so transparent. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So with those attacks that you've seen where they've had um, cyber insurance in place, how effective are those policies? So I, I think cybersecurity insurance is um, is an excellent thing for the industry, but it's not a panacea. Um, it's not a silver bullet that is going to cure uh, cure all our cyber ills. You know, uh, a lot of people take the view that because cybersecurity risks are unavoidable, uh, we'll just transfer all of our risk via insurance and you can't transfer all of your risk. It's impossible. You can't transfer it to a third party. You have to own some of it. And uh, additionally, when you do suffer a data breach and it's shown to have that you haven't got any cybersecurity controls in place or you haven't paid adequate attention to that issue, um, it may actually void your insurance or you're forced to pay extremely high premiums. Cybersecurity insurance can be beneficial. You just have to ensure that you're, um, get a policy that is fit for purpose for your organisation and that it covers um, what you need it to cover. Um, so you're not paying too much for it and also so you can be sure that your losses will be covered should a data breach occur. And oftentimes insurers uh, and cyber insurers in Australia are typically quite good. They have partnerships with organisations such as ours um, to come in in the event of an incident on their behalf and actually uh, conduct that digital forensics and incident response services. And that, that's part of the work we do. We do quite – most of our work comes from insurers. So with, um, say, an e-commerce site, for instance, Shannon, mm. where um, – you know, there are additional requirements for PCS, DSS, oh, sorry, PCI, DSS um, mm. compliance with the banks, et cetera, around collection of credit card information and encryption of that information and de-identifying. Um, yep. What are the sorts of things that, um, you know, with a lot of um, change in strategic direction and 
businesses transitioning to online and potentially um, an e-commerce site, what would you recommend in terms of those sorts of things um, to protect their yeah, information? Sure. Yeah, sure. So PCI DSS is uh, it's not a standard when you're compliant with it that equals security and compliance with any standard doesn't equal security. You have to take a organization-specific risk-based approach. Again, with um, starting an e-commerce site, um, you ask yourself that question, what is most important for the continued success and operation of this business? Well, it would be the protection of that financial data that you store, those credit card details of your customers, and also the continued operation of that web page and its functionality. So it'd be about having, um, uh, you know, to stop password injection attacks, having as simple as, um, you know, the capture tools that you type in your um, type in your password or you type in information into a form and it asks you to say, uh, you know, click on all the pictures that have a car inside it or Perfect what's life. two plus three and then you answer it. These are questions that a bot or, you know, um, malicious software couldn't, couldn't actually answer. So it, it helps provide that additional layer of security. Additionally, additionally having um, bare basics such as a site security certificate, you know, it, that doesn't mean it's a safe site, um, contrary to popular belief, but it does add a, um, a level of assurance. You know, it's, it's about defense in depth, having multiple controls in place to protect both your business and the, the um, privacy of your, the data owners whose data you store. Um, but you know PCI DSS, it, it's it's a good standard to have, um, and, but it is self-assessed. Um, so you can get an outsider in to um, ensure that you're compliant with it, but um, it is self-assessed. It helps you tick those boxes, but then again, a tick a box, tick the box approach isn't appropriate for organisations to mitigate cybersecurity risk. There needs to be, like I said, that risk-based approach. So you're finding, um, you've mentioned uh, that a lot of attacks are, um, you know, some of the mitigations that you've just mentioned now around um, bots not being able to crawl that information or um, ransomware software. Is Do you find that malicious ta- attacks do come from automated software or...? <sighs> Many do. Uh, it's it's part of the tool set that a cyber attacker will use. Um, they use automated um, code, automated software to be able to attack um, you know different businesses and individuals until they find a vulnerability. And then, oftentimes, they'll use um, manual um, you know tactics to be able to gain further access into those systems and to be able to move laterally you know, because uh, obviously software. Um, isn't too proficient at um, thinking laterally and thinking like a human and bypassing that um, the human element of your protections. So you'll, you'll often find with more advanced spear phishing, it's, it's been, it hasn't been automated. It's been a human behind that who's researched the company. They've done their intelligence gathering. They know who the CEO of the business is and uh, they can make email sound like it's coming from him to mm-hmm. process invoices that are fake or uh, to gain access to, um, you know, key individuals within the organisation um, with scam emails that look legitimate. There's oftentimes quite a bit of intelligence that goes into it. Previous, previously, attackers, particularly nation states, used to use uh, more of a spray and 
prey approach where they used automated software. Now we're finding it's more specific and targeted and they've done their research, uh, which makes it even more dangerous. And they usually target C-suite, um, C-suite um, individuals within the organization um, who are quite time poor. And there's not, there's only usually an EA as a gateway into their emails. Um, and if they haven't done their cybersecurity awareness training or um you know they're it's one of a myriad of emails they have to go through each day mistakes can be easily made so in terms of um department of defense strategies and um Mm. the nice strategies and things like that if organization say of a larger size implements all of those recommendations um and tries to mitigate any risk and minimise any um, vulnerability for an attack, are they still exposed in some way? Yeah, of course. Um, Even being completely compliant at the highest levels with, you know, like you said, with a cybersecurity standard such as NIST or, um, you know, ASD's Essential 8 or, uh, you know, if you're a defence or federal government, the ISM, the Information Security Manual, uh, aligning yourself at the highest levels with all of those those, uh, standards is still not going to protect you from everything because those standards haven't been designed with your specific organization in mind. They're a good place to start, but you need to take a risk-based approach, like I always say, a risk-based approach that's specific to your organization where you take into consideration your critical assets and the risks that are posed to those critical assets. Then you use that standard to apply the appropriate levels of controls and cybersecurity maturity levels. You assess them on each of those particular business units and those assets and then you see a set about applying controls that fit within your budget and they're that are doing them giving you the most bang for your buck based on your risk profile so it there is some you know in-depth analysis to go through at your organization but once you've done that and you've got a fairly mature risk model you can adapt as your the risk profile to your organization adapts because what's a critical asset now might not always be. And sometimes assets and operations or acquisitions that you make or new IT systems put in place, they then become critical and you need to envelop them in your overall cybersecurity boundary. Yeah, it's really that sort of privacy impact assessment and information mapping and... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And working hand in hand with, you know, your security team, your IT team, data governance, um, ensuring that you're meeting your regulatory compliance requirements for heavily regulated industries like finance and government. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, uh, but it's, and it's a continual effort. You can't just do it once and then expect to be secure. It's daily efforts. Mm. Mm. This current cyber attack that been experienced. I heard a report last night saying they believe it could be targeted towards research into the COVID vaccine. Thoughts on that? Oh, well, that'd be interesting. Well, you know, certain nation states have always had a proclivity for stealing IP of other countries in order to further their own aims as a nation. Uh, so it would not surprise me at all that a, a uh, malicious actor has targeted IP, but particularly around COVID, we saw um, a huge increase in malicious actors using COVID-themed um, uh, emails and um, 
malicious web pages that appeared to be um, giving COVID-related information to the masses and with the public's thirst for knowledge regarding anything with around COVID or lockdowns or people getting sick, uh, I dare say uh, quite a great many people fell for those scams. So, um, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I think as you mentioned before, it's people working from home that don't have mm. systems that are probably have been a bit vulnerable as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you know, people that have there's some people you've got to remember that have never worked from home. They often came to the office and they had a set PC that they didn't take home. It was just in the office, and then they've probably been probably been forced to use their own device, or they've been given a new laptop from their employer and they've been had to go home and download all of the software that was necessary for the for them to conduct their work and they found it was difficult so they'll um, you know download an application or a piece of software here to make their roles easier and the IT team or the security team have no way of controlling you know what they've downloaded in some cases um, so it just it makes it very difficult for the security teams to uh, keep an eye on everybody uh, with that mass transition to working from home and you know, everybody that got locked down, which was most people understood the stresses of being locked down, especially if they have a family and kids running around and you're trying to keep an eye on cybersecurity and make sure you're not going to click on the wrong emails and there's kids screaming and asking for things and, you know, and you're <laughs> trying to sit on the kitchen table. I had friends using ironing boards as their desks in the middle of their lounge room um, while babysitting. It was, uh, you know, you can understand why mistakes would be made. Yeah, challenging times indeed. Do you have any recommendations for people working from home that they should be taking precautionary measures or any sort of recommendations for their IT or security teams to um, help protect those employees and the vulnerability of the organisation? Yeah, sure. Just uh, constant communication about the risks that they're facing and maintaining vigilance of emails and um, having multi-factor authentication set up across your devices and your apps and ensuring that, um, you know, you know who the sender is of each of the emails and it's an email that you're uh, you're expecting and, you know, you can right-click on the sender to check that the email address actually matches the name and, um, you know, IT teams and security teams encouraging people to refresh their user security awareness training is really important. And, you know, I think it's important as well for IT and security teams, particularly in larger businesses, is when they're implementing cybersecurity controls, a mistake that is often made is they'll implement cybersecurity controls or technical controls without any conversation or communication with the proposed end user. And what it'll do is it'll create friction in their workflows. And like all human behavior, what do we do when we experience friction? We look for a way to circumvent it. You only have to look at a right angle of a footpath, but there's a clear grass area that you can walk through that'll make your path faster. There's going to be a worn dirt track straight through the middle of that grass instead of walking around the concrete path. That's just human behavior. The same thing happens with technology and in cybersecurity, but circumvention of cybersecurity controls, obviously, that leads to data breaches. So it's, it's, it's very important that cybersecurity and IT professionals work with the, with the end users and the staff within their company to come up with cybersecurity controls that, doesn't, that don't make their job harder and create friction in their workflows. That's really important. So have you seen any statistics about an increase in cyber attacks 
Yes, and uh, particularly since the coronavirus lockdown, um, there's been a, a huge increase even in the adoption of um, you know, web pages that have corona-related names. There's been, uh, I, I think at one point there, there was about 10,000 new web pages a day. And I think that that rate is still sitting at around three or 4,000 even now. And that's been the entire lockdown, so the past two or three months now. So it's a staggering amount of increase in malicious activity, and um, you know there's there's readily available statistics, and I don't have them in front of me, but the the it's been a dramatic increase. Um, and like I said, that's that's from a combination of things that um, increased working from home. Um, the attack surface getting larger because of that. Uh, people having lax um, awareness of cybersecurity risks, working from home and being distracted, and that thirst for knowledge and cyber criminal, cybersecurity criminals, uh, cyber criminals, sorry, um, always take advantage of um, distressing times. You know, they, they even during Australia's bushfires, um, malicious activity increased. And there was scammers trying to tap into generous individuals donating to bushfire reliefs. They were setting up, you know, scam um, fundraising efforts. And uh, you know, whenever you see a disaster, almost always there's a corresponding um, increase in um, the malicious activity. It's um, it's of no surprise to anybody that they're not good people. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Hopefully one of the many lessons we'll take out of the COVID situation will be, you know, to be conscious of increased cyber. Yes, definitely. Yep. So is there any sort of top tips that you want to leave anyone with today, Shannon, before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. Just uh, uh, constant awareness, I think, is key and and constant communication with um, staff members and the IT and security teams and just seeing cybersecurity as the business enabler that it can be, not just somewhere that costs get buried and you forget about it and you hand off the problem to the IT team and the long-suffering um, uh, chief information security officer. You know, uh, uh, it's, a, it's one of the most difficult jobs you can do and you can see why that they usually only last a couple of years in the role just from the high stress of it. But, um, you know, I think it's important that we're – we're all aware that cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility from individuals through to small mum and pop shops um, to large corporate businesses and federal government. It's everybody's responsibility and um, I think we're going the right way about it. Uh, we just need to keep ploughing ahead with those efforts. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Shannon, and thank you to all of our listeners who've joined in and um, join us for another episode of Wise Up and uh, tune in for the next part of the cybersecurity series. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.3wiseowls.com.au.